Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello, plant friends. Welcome to Plow and Hose. Thank you for joining me in my backyard today. I just got back into town because we took a few days this past week and headed down um, to South Texas, down to the coast, and spent some wonderful time relaxing on the beach at South Padre Island. When we had left um, Taylor in Central Texas, um, it was still wet and soggy, and it was you know s- still pretty mild. Um, cool it wasn't um wasn't hot like it normally is in june but by the time that we got back to taylor i really was a bit stunned because i was like it's actually really hot here i was just so surprised i was like oh my god we left town we came back and it turned into summer you know right when i was just finally getting used to the overcast and rainy days you know i leave town for a few days and just like that hot we have hit that turning point and I think it's safe to say that we have started our long Texas summer and I like it Um, it's a nice change from all that rainy weather and it's definitely much more normal I can handle normal it's just the freaky weather that we've been having that uh, kind of stresses me out but anyway we had gorgeous weather at the coast all week long and it was beautiful on the drive home and it's really been nice weather since uh, coming back to Taylor we had such a great time at the beach it was time for a change of scenery and I totally loved my time away and of course I love being at the beach I know I've mentioned this before, but whenever um, we go somewhere different, I'm always kind of like scoping out the plants and checking out the landscaping. I really enjoy seeing what things are growing, and I love learning about different plants. I've always been that way. I've always naturally gravitated to um, kind of plants and nature and all that. So whenever we go, I try to uh, make some time to check out the plants and you know, if we can, we visit uh, like a cool garden or if they have a nature center, we'll go check that out. But this time, we didn't make any special plans. We just stuck to going to the beach and we were perfectly content with doing that. At least I was. So we had this really cool condo um, that was practically on the beach. Our back patio was like less than 100 yards from the beach. There was just like a strip of lawn you could just walk out the patio, cut through the grass, and then go past the sand dunes, and you're right there on the beach. Now, the sand dunes, they were really pretty. Um, I know sand doesn't really look like much, but they were just covered 
with lush and green vines and different types of grasses. There were a ton of white and purple morning glory vines um, and they were just blooming like crazy. These beach morning glories, uh, they are vines and they are super cool. They are they have nice and thick leathery leaves and thick um, real sturdy looking um, vines and they're they're really different from the morning glories that we can grow here in central Texas. Our morning glories are you know the typical kind they have a really delicate vine um, they're really fast growing and they they climb and twine and can just crawl up um, a structure really quickly and then they have that thin delicate heart-shaped leaf both types of morning glories the beach morning glories and then the regular ones um, they're both lo lovely and I just think it's so amazing that they can be so similar they have that similar shaped flower but they can also be so different I mean they are part of the same botanical family um, so I guess it's just really like human families. I mean, siblings and cousins can look so different, but yet at the same time, so similar. Another plant that was growing in the sand dunes there in South Padre were beach evening primroses. These look very similar to the yellow primroses that grow here in Central Texas in the springtime. Um, it's got this same bright yellow flowers that are have like four petals and they're really simple looking beach evening primroses have a slightly different leaf and but they have a much larger blossom more like baseball size blossoms they're just so big uh, uh, and delicate and uh, they have that bright sunny yellow color I really couldn't help but smile um, whenever I saw one of those while we were in South Padre each morning, I'd get up early and just take a, you know, a short, maybe two mile walk down the beach. It was really peaceful and I just really enjoyed being out there by myself. You know, I'd come across, you know, the occasional early bird out walking or going out for a run. But our condo was down on the far south end of the island where there is a large county park that allows camping and for some reason there seemed to be a little more variety of plants growing in the dunes so I'd always kind of head down that way and go check out the plants. I came, I kept coming across these sweet little pink puffball flowers with delicate stems. Those are called sensitive plants and they are related to uh, mimosa trees. They are legumes and they are also related to all beans, peas, and even uh, Texas blue bonnets. Those are all legumes. And legumes are so cool. They're awesome plants. They actually improve the soil because they are nitrogen fixers. Legumes work with the soil bacteria and they're able to convert nitrogen gas um, into a form of nitrogen that plants can use. And this is really great because nitrogen is one of the key plant nutrients. And it's the one that's responsible for creating lush green leaves. 
Now, if you caught last week's episode, you'll know that I am especially fond of mimosa trees. They are a little bit controversial, but right or wrong, I love mimosa trees, and I'm very fond of most of their cousins, particularly the ones that have the pink fuzzy flowers and those soft fern-like leaves. And naturally, I love sensitive plants too. With their super cute fuzzy little pink lollipop flowers, just poke it that poke straight out of the ground. I don't know how, uh, I don't know anyone who could hate sensitive plants. They are just so cute and they also improve the soil. They're called sensitive plant because of their ability to react to touch. So if you brush up on the plant's leaves, it will almost instantly fold up on itself. This response is caused by the plant's ability to release water from certain leaf cells. So when a sensitive plant is touched, it will draw up their leaves and they think that this is a defense mechanism um, to protect themselves against grazing herbivores like cattle or rabbits. Sensitive plant and some of their relatives will also respond to changes in daylight too. It's a cool phenomenon called nysentastic movement where they close and open their leaves in response to sunlight. When it's bright, the leaves will open up. When there's less sunlight, they fold in. Well, luckily for me, we do have those cute little sensitive plants here in Taylor. I've noticed them around town. I just don't have any in my yard. There were so many of them growing in the sand dunes in South Padre. So I'm guessing that they probably prefer the soil and the climate further south. I just know that I'm super jealous and that I would totally love to have them all through my yard. So if you don't like them, have an idea. Maybe you could dig them up and bring them over. I mean, I have tons of space for them. So if you have any unwanted, unloved, sensitive plants, just come over, plant them in my front yard. I won't ask any questions. I will just allow you to put your sensitive plants in my front lawn. I'll have a giant sensitive plant orphanage right here. No questions asked. Just bring them. I'll take them in. Okay, 2021 has been unusual, to say the least, with kind of the abnormal and sometimes extreme weather that we've had this year in Central Texas. It's been so damp, like pretty much the entire month of May was wet. It didn't really dry out at all. So I was glad to get away for a few days and go down to the beach and enjoy um, the sunshine down there. But I have to admit that my garden was on my mind and I just kept thinking about, um, you know, I was leaving them behind 
And, you know, I wasn't really worried about the garden drying out. I was much more concerned about insects invading my garden while I was gone. I was mainly concerned about um, my ongoing battle with squash vine borers. If you missed that show, you can go over to your podcast platform and look for the May 23rd show. It's episode 20. And you can hear all about that awful bug that is denying Central Texas Backyard Gardeners our homegrown summer squash. I have been spending a lot of time monitoring and treating my squash at the first signs of squash vine borers. So being away for five days, I was worried about my squash plants. You know, I went from checking on those squash plants like every, you know, at least once a day um, to going cold turkey and not being able to, to check on my plants for a week. Anyway, I really wasn't surprised to find borer damage when we got back. You know, I did the best I could. I injected the vines with the BT in the spots that were damaged. And, you know, I worked on removing dead and dying leaves. And while I was out there cleaning, inspecting my plants and getting them kind of cleaned up, I noticed more squash vine borer eggs. So I picked those off and I don't know, you know, thanks to all this rain that we've gotten, I, I, I have those 12 plants out there and with all the rain, I've got a squash jungle. The plants look really good for the most part. Um, they're really long and lush and they're kind of taking over that little spot in the yard that I feel pretty confident that because it was so lush and leafy out there that I know that there are some eggs that I just didn't didn't get. So I think it's going to be a continuing problem for me. We'll just have to wait and see how it goes. Um, like I said, I've got those 12 plants, but I'm pretty sure two of them are just not going to make it. Of those two vines, um, there seems to be a lot of damage at the base of the plants and that's not really good because you have the whole rest of the plant that will suffer um, because of the damage. I just went ahead and treated them but I'm not feeling very optimistic. The good news is is that I came home to find several baby squashes on the vine. Most of them are still too small to harvest right now, but I do have one squash that is nearly ready to pick. So if I only get that one, I am going to be annoyed, but at least I tried. I'm not really sure what else I could possibly do at this point to save them. You know, every week in my uh, intro, I say, the Plow and Hose is a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening and squash vine borers fall into that challenging category for me. 
You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you are out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Host Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you get your shows and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and leave a review. It's super quick. Just click on the stars, type a sentence or two about what you like about the show, and then click submit. Super easy. This is going to help others find the show, and downloading the Plow and Hose episodes helps provide me with show statistics. So go on over to your podcast platform and download any shows you've missed or you just want to listen to again. Well, now that we are pretty much in mid-June, the planting window for planting seeds here in Central Texas is very, very limited. It's just going to be way too hot for most seedlings to survive or be very productive. But there are a handful of vegetables that you can plant from seed. You can still put in warm season greens like amaranth and purple orich. You can plant southern peas, okra, and pumpkins still. You can also put in sweet potato slips now until the end of June. If you have transplants, get them in the ground so they have time to get established. Depending on how hot it gets, you might need to baby them. In the summer, all plants benefit from extra compost and a nice thick layer of mulch to help keep the soil temperatures cool, those roots cool, and of course, retain moisture. With all this summer heat, all your plants will need some extra nutrients and some compost is my go-to. It's hard to overdo compost. I don't even know if you can. I love it because you don't have to worry about fertilizer burn or trying to figure out how much to apply. You don't have to mix it up. You can just spread a bit down on your onto your beds and your soil will love it. If you have a compost pile at home, even better because it's free. If you want compost to work a little bit faster, you can make some compost tea. Super easy to do. You get a bucket of water, you get a couple scoops of compost, put it in there, let it soak for a week, stir it occasionally, and then you can use that tea on your plants. You can either do a soil drench and all that is is pouring that liquid at the base of your plants or you can put your compost tea in a sprayer and then spray it on the leaves and this is called foliar feeding. Plants are super cool because they can take in nutrients from their leaves, their stems, and even the bark. Plants don't have to wait for the roots to take in nutrients and 
plants also love the extra moisture on their leaves and that humidity is going to help them take in the nutrients. But pick either early in the day when it's cooler or in the evening to foliar your feed. You absolutely do not want to spray them in the heat of the day. Wet leaves and blazing sun will be a disaster and you'll cause sun scald. So wait until you have a little extra time so you can play, um, spray when it's cooler and you won't risk basically sunburning your, your leaves. So that was the easy method. There's another method of making compost tea and it's fancy, fancy aerated compost tea. Now the easy compost tea that I mentioned is what we call non-aerated anaerobic compost tea. The water pulls the nutrients out of the compost and into the water. This is, you know, kind of similar of putting a tea bag in a gallon jar and sticking it out in the sun and making sun tea. There's not really a lot else going on and it's dead simple to do. Now, the more advanced way of making compost tea allows you to make a more beneficial product for your garden that contains oxygen. All right, so you're probably thinking, Julie, my plants are outside in the oxygen. Why do you think I need fancy oxygenated compost tea? Well, that's true. That's all true. Plants and everything above the ground is exposed to oxygen in the air. But everything below the surface doesn't have that easy access to oxygen. Plants thrive in healthy, rich soil. And if you dig down into healthy, rich soil, you will, um, you'll find all kinds of critters. You'll find bugs and earthworms. Those guys, they need oxygen. So, so do all the uh, microbes that live in your soil, the ones that you can't see. So when soil gets compacted, there is less space and the oxygen for um, your soil critters. The soil that we have here in Taylor and our part of Central Texas, the Blackland Prairie, it's full of heavy clay and it compacts so easily, especially after a decent rain. Um, and then it also dries out really quickly and compacts whenever it's subjected to our scorching heat. So our soil can really benefit from the extra oxygen from an aerated, oxygenated compost tea. Making aerated compost tea really is not harder than making it the simple way. You just need a few extra things. You'll need a bucket, some compost, an old pillowcase, of course water to fill the container, an aquarium air pump, and a bubbler, which is also called an air stone. So you place the compost in the pillowcase and then tie it up. You put that into the bucket and then cover it with water. Plug in your air pump and place the bubbler air stone into the container. You're gonna let that bubbler run for 24 hours 
and then your aerated compost tea is ready to use. Now we had an old aquarium, so we used that instead of a bucket and we were able to make um, quite a bit more. It's, it's good stuff and it makes a really nice product that your plants are going to like. Now, both fancy aerated compost tea and the plain regular compost tea, they are both beneficial to your garden. You know, people have been making compost tea for a long, long time, for generations, you know, way before there were aquariums and air pumps. So give either method a try. There's lots of variations out there on the internet and several recipes and different instructions on how to set up an aerated system. It's not hard at all. I've been seeing a lot of little visitors to my garden. I was out one morning checking on my plants and I heard some rustling. So I turned around and I saw this bushy gray tail just swishing over in my strawberry bed. So I started making some noise to scare it off, but it didn't, it didn't move. It didn't run off. So I started walking over to my strawberry bed and that squirrel was wrestling with a strawberry just trying really hard to pull it off it was really de determined to get one of my berries that squirrel did not care at all that i was coming to get him so it was like a, a race i'd like get closer and closer and he just yank and yank and try to rip it off before i got there you know right when I got up to the bed he finally pulled off one of the berries and then just scampered off and I was like you little jerk I hope that that green strawberry gives you a stomach ache you better stay out of my garden um, I was kind of loud about it and I probably sounded like mr. McGregor or acting all mad I don't know I probably sound more like Elmer Fudd but anyway um, I'm starting to see a, a lot more insects too. Um, I'm not really thrilled about that either because they aren't the good ones. Now, I, I do see ladybugs um, and so I know that there are some beneficial insects out there. But I'm starting to see mealybugs, leafhoppers, little baby grasshoppers, and stink bugs. There are several different kinds of stink bugs here in Texas. Um, some of them are green, but most of them are like a grayish brown. One of the most common stink bugs that we have around here is called the leaf-footed bug. Now the babies look like orange and black ants that have big bulbous behinds they tend to stick together in like a little stink bug pack um, and you'll find them in clusters on your plants the adults are that brownish gray and they have like a long shield or like a little maybe surfboard i don't know <laughs> looking body they have long antenna and they have these long bowed out back legs and they look like they have giant calf muscles. I don't know who came up with the name leaf-footed, but they don't look like leaves. And it's attached to their legs, not their feet. So 
I don't know why they're called leaf-footed bugs, but whatever. These guys love fleshy fruits and vegetables. They have needle-like mouth parts, and they pierce the fruit, and they suck the juices out. They love my tomatoes, and I know when they've been on them because they don't leave holes on the fruit, but more like a blemish. It's kind of a dry spot where they've sucked the juices out in that location. When you get a lot of damage on the tomatoes, those areas um, kind of look like a cork on the inside. It's like dry and spongy looking. Most of the time, it's just annoying. All you have to do, you can just slice off those dry parts and enjoy the rest of your tomato. Now, those little injection holes can also allow other pathogens to hurt your fruit, so you could start seeing them rot, um, rot on the vine. The best way to get rid of stink bugs and leaf-footed bugs is just pick them off. But wear gloves because they are stink bugs and they smell disgusting if you squish them. I also use um, insecticidal soap, which is really easy to make with dish soap, some water, and a spray bottle. You can add a drop of neem oil if you want to, but if you don't have it, regular kitchen dish soap works well, and you don't have to worry about expensive and very hazardous sprays or poison dusts. You know, those synthetic insecticides are so strong and you really have to take a, a lot of care when handling them. You know, not only do they kill stink bugs, but they also kill most other insects, including the good ones like honeybees and ladybugs and lacewings, and they can even kill some of the, the worms in your soil. And they can also harm you, especially um, those kind of the the dry insecticides, the, the powders, you really do not want to inhale any of those dangerous powders. All gardens are ecosystems and we need the good bugs and the microbes for our gardens to be successful. If you use some of those agricultural chemicals, you are going to kill off all the bugs. If you do that, then you're not going to have pollinators that are going to help pollinate your flowers to give you fruits. And they can really also screw up issues with your soil biology. So help your plants out and use a natural product or an organic approved pesticide. Really, the simplest solution is usually the cheapest too. So. Figure out what kind of insect that you have, research it, find the appropriate organic approved insecticide. All right, I'm gonna wrap up this show now because I've got some peppers and some cucumbers just waiting to be picked, so I wanna go do that. Thank you for joining me in my backyard again. If you have a question or a comment, you know, send me a quick note on the Plan Host Facebook page. I'd love to hear from you guys.
production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.